few weeks back, several of us were huddled around my computer in my office, or that night huddled around the TV at home, and we're watching a video. And it comes to the middle point of the, the video, and Harrison Ford says, it's true, all of it. Some of you get what I'm talking about. Some of us in the office might be Star Wars nerds. That's okay. But he, he is, it's this moment in the, the trailer where you see the old guard and, and some of us remember the old movies when they were first run and, and, and they were great. And, and we see this one and in the office we're cheering and my kids are like, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to go see it. And it's interesting because what he's talking about is the Force and the Jedi and all of the stories and all of the, the things that happen and the heroism. But the problem is it's not true. None of it. And we look at that and I've heard times where people have said, well, the Force is like the Holy Spirit and we've tried to tap into this, but there's something about the Force that attracts us. There, there's something that makes us want that kind of power. I can remember as a child closing my eyes and saying, okay, try to hit me and I'm going to block you with the force. That doesn't work. You just get hit, right? I, I love doing that with my boys, but um, no, no, just, just, just kidding. But you know, Mark and I have this game where there's daddy force and I'll go like this and he'll pretend like he's choking. Although that would make me Darth Vader, but no, okay. <laughs> and I move around and he moves around and pretends like he's doing it. But we're fascinating with power, right? We want to tap in to a deeper power. I think that's why some of the, the superhero movies are so popular and they just keep coming and coming. And Marvel's Universe that just has a new movie out every week. And, and you have Thor and Captain America. I'm just not as scared of Ant-Man, but that's, I haven't seen it, but... Um, we tie into things that give us power, that give us strength, because we want to do something with that. We want to act on that. We want to know that there is more. And what we're tying into as a culture, I believe, is a God-shaped hole in our hearts that there is more. And God has created us to be, be followers of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, not the force, but indwelt by a power that guides us and directs us and cleanses us and saves us if we will be open to that. So we've been studying the names of God and, and we want to move to the names of the Holy Spirit today and, and look at what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our life. God didn't just leave us here. Christ didn't just leave us here when, when He ascended into heaven alone. He didn't just, just strand us as orphans. He gave us the Holy Spirit so we would not be alone. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit so we would know how to live for Him and stand against a dark world. But it's hard because so many times we, we forget about the Holy Spirit. So many times we forget to tie into that power. I want to put a quote on the screen from A.W. Tozer. And this is a quote from decades ago, but he might as well have written it today. We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. Think about that for a minute. We compare ourselves with each other to try to find who's the most spiritual. We forget to be seeking the things of the Spirit. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. Steps on toes, doesn't it? 
because we've forgotten that the Holy Spirit is where our power and our strength comes from. And today we want to come back and remind ourselves of that. Some of the theology today is familiar to you. Some of it is, you, you, could, you could teach a class on this yourself. For some of you, the things that we're going to talk about with the Holy Spirit are going to be completely new and completely different. And the, the Holy Spirit, some people, it may be this mystical force or this mystical idea that is out there. And it's interesting because we see the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible from beginning to end. But yet, he's often in the background. He's often in the backgrounds of the working of God the Father and the backgrounds of the working of Jesus Christ. We see him all the way from Genesis 1-2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was present and active in creation. All the way to the end of the story, which we talked about last week in Genesis 22:17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the waters of life without price. So he's there. He's there from beginning to end. And one of my goals today is that as we we read this, we open our eyes to see how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned, how many times he is at work, that we remind ourselves that we serve a triune God, not a dual God. So we come to his primary name, the Holy Spirit. We're just going to cover one name today. I know usually we cover three. Last week we covered 25. This is a little different. We're just going to cover one name and talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit and explore this topic. He first shows up, the, the actual name Holy Spirit first shows up in Philippians or in Psalm 51:11. But then I want to turn to John 14:25 and 26. John 14, 25 through 26. And this is the the third time that Jesus has promised a helper, that he's promised the Holy Spirit. So we'll keep coming back to this passage today as we talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's comforting them and giving them hope for a future. And he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in this moment where the disciples are are moving toward Jesus' crucifixion, they're moving towards his ascension, he is preparing them. I will go, but, but I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit. I am not leaving you alone. The Father will send him. So we want to start with the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And and to to start answering that, I want to say, who is he not? Or what is he not? And five things I want to mention there. The first I've already mentioned in the introduction, he's not the force. Okay, let's just just deal with that. He's not the force. I don't want to see a Bible study that equates the force with with the Holy Spirit. That's coming from um, New Age movement, Eastern philosophy, that everything has a life energy. And, and so this pillar has a life energy and this chair and we all have life energy and God is part of all of that. That's coming from the new age mysticism that the force really is coming from. And so he's not just this entity that is in all things, whereas God does hold all things together. He is much more than that. Second thing he's not is he's not an embodiment of Christian values. He's not an embodiment of Christian values. Sometimes we can say there is, there is such a spirit of love here. That's not the Holy Spirit. Now, I want there to be a spirit of love here, but that's not the Holy Spirit. And I've heard people think, well, well, that's the Holy Spirit. There's a spirit of community here, of grace. And, and 
but he's not an embodiment of Christian values. He causes Christian values. Those are good, but they aren't the Holy Spirit. They're the results of the Holy Spirit. Third thing that he is not, he's not simply the influence of God. And this one, I think, is, is the biggest mistake we can fall into, is viewing the Holy Spirit as just God's will or influence in our lives. He's affecting our mind. And, and so the power of God comes on us and starts to influence our thoughts, and that influences the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit influences us, but that influence isn't the Spirit. That makes sense? And so these are some things that, that he is not. If, if, if this last baseball season... We, we got to the end, and it looked like the Cubs might have a chance. And, and so I heard people say something like, oh, they have the spirit of the Cubs. That, that, no, no, don't. Well, they lost. Don't have the spirit of the Cubs. But that's this embodiment of some sort of influence or some sort of ideal, and the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. Now, no one was saying the Holy Spirit was with the Cubs. I'm not saying that. But we think of that way of thinking as who the Holy Spirit is. Fourth thing he is not, he's not just a justification of our own feelings. One of the things that, that, that we can fall into so easily is, well, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this. The Holy Spirit led me to, to go to Taco Bell today. The Holy Spirit led me to change jobs. I've seen men that have said, the Holy Spirit led me to abandon my family and go find greener pastures. No, no, none of that's the Holy Spirit. That's our way of using Christianese to justify what we want to do, right? Now, can the Holy Spirit lead us to do things? Absolutely. And where we go today is I want to be sensitive to that and be open to his leading. But let's not justify our own feelings and somehow think our own ideas and our own impulses are the Holy Spirit. And that, get, that, gets, that gets really difficult. How do we know the difference? And that takes time in the Word and time walking with God. Last thing that the Holy Spirit is not, and, and I say this just because some of you may have grown up with the King James tradition, and I, I grew up with the King James tradition, and in the King James, the Holy Spirit is often translated the, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost. Um, it's, it's actually a, a translation that made sense hundreds of years ago in how they used ghosts. Ghost and spirit were similar, but now with how we use ghost. The Holy Spirit is not some apparition of someone who died. He's not some evil spirit coming to haunt us. Just doesn't mean the same thing now. And so spirit is a a much better translation uh, of the word there. So those are some things that he's not, just to to dispel some of those. But then who is he? Who is he? And, And I'll give you the two points right up front, so that way you can doze off if you need to. Number one, he is real. Number two, he is active. Number one, he is real. Number two, he is active. And, and I'm going to use as the basis of our, our little theological overview today, and it's going to be quick because we could spend a whole sermon series on this. I'm going to use our Constitution. And in our Constitution, we identify our doctrine and what we believe. We sang about some of the things we believe this morning. So it's a good place to, to review and say this is what we believe as a church. This is what we hold to. So in the first point, he is real. Our Constitution about the Holy Spirit says, We believe that the Holy Spirit is real, has individual personality, has the attributes of God, and is God. There's some verses out of our our Constitution there that that we can look at. And so we come and we start with that He is not some sort of ideal. He is not some sort of mystical creature. He is real. He is the third person of the Trinity, which we sometimes call the Godhead. 
This morning we read Matthew 28, 19, and, and this is where the Holy Spirit's everywhere. We just miss him for some reason. And this is the familiar um, Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All three are mentioned there. He's part of the triune God. And so in the Trinity, we believe that God is one, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of our Constitution, we say co-eternal in being, co-identical in nature, co-equal in power and glory, and having the same attributes and perfections. Test on that later. Got that down? I encourage you to go back and study those things. All of the members of the Trinity are equal in their nature and who they are. One other author wrote it this way. The members of the Trinity are equal in nature, separate in persons, and submissive in duty. That's a great way of thinking of the Trinity. Each of them contains all of the attributes of God, all of the nature of God. The Holy Spirit isn't somehow less God than Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ isn't somehow less God than God the Father. They are equal in nature. But then the next thing that phrase has and and our Constitution has, they are separate in person. Our Constitution says has individual personalities. And so he is separate in person, meaning that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons that make up this one God. They have distinct roles. They They have distinct purposes and functions, but they are all God. You know, my kids don't really appreciate it when I get their names wrong, when I mix them up. You know, I'm going through and I go, Mark, Jeffrey, Alicia, and, and then I start going through the pets' names and hope I get one right. And No, they, they, they don't appreciate that because they're their own person. They like to be called by what they want to be called. They don't want to be called the cat's name or the guinea pig's name for some reason. I think it's endearing. But um, in the same way, the Holy Spirit is a person and we recognize the personage. We, could, we should recognize that he is a distinct person in the Godhead and the Trinity. And some have argued that he's not just a person. He might be this ideal. But there's some, some interesting um, verses that help us understand that. In Matthew 12, we see Jesus talking, and he's talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit assumes personage. It's against a person. In Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how can you grieve a non-entity? I can't grieve this chair. I could stand on it. I could throw it to the ground. I could throw it out the window. That chair is not going to be grieved. It's not going to be mad at me because it's not a person. When we read that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we should read that with fear and trembling because he is separate in person. Isaiah 63.10 says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So he is real, which means he is separate in person. The next part of being real is he has all the attributes and nature of God. He is eternally existing. All of, all of the nature, all of the attributes that we talked about when we talked about through the I Am series, they all are the Holy Spirit as well. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is righteous, He is loving, He is merciful, and all the rest. He has all the attributes and nature of God. And finally, the third point, which comes out of those, but it's the third point of our Constitution, the Holy Spirit is God. 
Let's just say it. The Holy Spirit is God. In Acts 5, 3, and 4, and if you remember the story of Acts, the church is forming and the early church is just really cooking and, and the Holy Spirit's doing things and they're helping each other. And, and a, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, said, you know what? We could get some attention here. We're going to sell our land and we're going to go give it to God and, and make this big deal that we are giving all that we sold to God. But what did they do? They held half of it back, right? And but yet they said that they're giving it all to God for the glory, for the attention of man. And Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And Peter identifies the Holy Spirit as the one they were lying to. But then he goes on. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit is equated with God. They've lied to the Holy Spirit. They've lied to God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, I encourage you to read that. It talks about God revealing things to us through the Holy Spirit because the Spirit searches everything. The Spirit knows the mind of God and only God can know the mind of God. So who is He? He is real. He is separate in person. He has all the attributes and nature of God. The Holy Spirit is God. We don't want to deny Him, ignore Him, or relegate Him to a lesser part of the Trinity. We're called to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Those words mean something. So how do we do that? I think part of doing that is beginning to understand what the Holy Spirit does. And that's the second part of our our constitution, our doctrinal statement. He is active. He is active. And this answers the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? And and before we jump into that, I I just want to consider the name, the Holy Spirit. We are talking about the names of God, and this is a name that that may seem obvious to us. But think of those two words. Holy is from the Greek hagios, which means to be separate, to be set apart or consecrated. To be sacred or hollowed, worthy of reverence of a divinity. A way that I like to think about the word holy is completely other. Completely other. That, that God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they've all been listed as holy. We've studied about that about all of them. They are completely other, worthy of reverence. There is no other God like them. There is no other person like them. And sometimes we elevate ourselves and we elevate people. There is no idol like them. They're God of gods and Lord of lords. Holy also has this idea of being clean, of being pure, of being perfect. And so when we think of the word holy and Holy Spirit, it's elevating Him as a completely other God, proclaiming that He is completely pure and completely perfect, completely good. Isn't that neat? That's the Holy Spirit. Consider for a moment, and we'll, we'll, we'll end today reconsidering this, But consider for a moment that the Holy Spirit, the one that is completely other, pure and perfect, is the one indwelling you and I. And if we can think we can really have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and not come away changed, we're fooling ourselves. And if we're not coming away changed, we need to evaluate if the Holy Spirit is present. If we've accepted Christ and been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Spirit is the second part of that name, Holy Spirit. And the word spirit is used close to 500 
times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Don't worry, we're not covering all 500 this morning. Tied with holy, the Holy Spirit is used about 100 times in the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, spirit, the, the word for spirit is ruach. And, and I, there's supposed to be a guttural at the end that happy can do and I can't. I just spit all over people. But in the New Testament, the word for spirit is pneuma. And both of these mean breath or, or wind. And it was the idea of breath of life. And so th- this word was used sometimes of the spirit in a person, the immaterial being of a person. But in, re- in regards to God, it's used of God, the, the Holy Spirit, that he is like a wind that is coming and going. He is working and everything, but he is unseen because he is spirit. He was not incarnated. He does not have flesh, but he's the breath of life. We don't see him in bodily form, but we see his work everywhere. Jesus mentions this in John 3.8 as he's talking to Nicodemus up on the rooftop and Nicodemus is trying to get his head around salvation and being born again. And Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or from where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so Jesus takes the work of the Spirit and saying, he's equating it to like the wind. And the wind we can't see, but we can see the results of, Right? A few days back, at the, or a few weeks back at the craft fair, and Mark was out there manning the, the jump house, and I think I talked about this, and a, a huge gust of wind came up. Couldn't see it coming, and it took the bounce house in the air with Mark holding the corner off the ground in the air. That wind had power, right? right? But we never saw it. Kids were in it. No one died. Mark is okay. But that wind has power, and that's the, the imagery that Jesus is using of the Holy Spirit or the word spirit. It's the breath of life, the wind of life. When we see the Spirit, when we see his work, we should think active, he's an active agent of God's work. When we, whenever we see the word spirit, the name spirit in the, the word, we should think, what is God doing here? Because that means he's an active agent of God's word. So he is active. I'm going to go through, I think, 11 items in your notes real quickly, just sort of list them down of ways that the Holy Spirit is active. Our Constitution also lists these. And and just my goal here is to give you a broad picture of what he does because the Holy Spirit does so much. Books are written on the work of the Holy Spirit. We it, It's throughout the whole whole Word of God. But if we can get a taste of it, an overview of it, we can begin to appreciate what he does. Our Constitution says the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sins, is the agent of rebirth in Christians, making them part of the body of Christ, the church. He lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. He illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. lot there. Lots of different words. I just want to unpack a few of them. The first is convicts. He convicts. You're at John 14. Just turn over a couple pages to the right to John 16. Another time where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I can just imagine the disciples going, what? It's better for us if you leave? That's ridiculous, Jesus. But he's, he's making a point. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The Helper, who's the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that name next week, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness 
and judgment. And then Jesus goes on to explain each of those. But one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to convict. When you decided to come to Christ, you came to Christ because the Holy Spirit was at work in your heart convicting you. He was challenging your heart that you are a sinner. He was challenging you that you have rebelled against God and you need Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit was drawing you to God. It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts. In these passages, it says he also convicts the world regarding sin. And and, and it's part of why you see the world so against Christianity and so against what God wants to do and in his truth. It's because the Holy Spirit is convicting them with light and darkness hates light. It exposes their deeds. And so the Holy Spirit convicts. He still convicts in our lives. As we sin, even as believers, as we sin, he convicts and challenges us with that sin. Second thing that we mentioned in in that statement, he's the agent of rebirth in Christians. The second point there, he's the agent of regeneration. It's the Holy Spirit that washes us and makes us new, that makes us born again. Do you see how he's an agent of God? He's, He's fulfilling the work of God. In Titus 3, 5, we read, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, nothing I do can save myself because nothing I do is good. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We are new and clean because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And we see the Trinity working together that God sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And and Jesus is our righteousness, but that's done through the Holy Spirit washing and cleansing and renewing us and putting Christ's righteousness on us. What a beautiful picture. I just want to take a moment. There's sometimes a lot of talk, and, and I know there's different denominations. Well, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? what is indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and what is filling of the Holy Spirit. So let me just get technical for a minute because there's all kinds of different ideas. Some denominations think baptism of the Holy Spirit comes after salvation at some later time and is evidenced by some specific gifts. But in Scripture, we just don't see that to be true. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is equated with salvation. It's that time when we are born again. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and we, we talked about this as we studied 1 Corinthians, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about how do we become part of the church? How do we become part of the body of Christ? How are we saved? It's through baptism of the Holy Spirit. That he comes and he takes the work of Christ and we are baptized into that work. And so there is no later baptism Every believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit which regenerates us and makes us new. Because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we are indwelt. And that will be the next point that we talked about. He lives inside of us and it immediately follows. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit as well. And you see that in our, our statement. He lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. So we're baptized once into the Spirit at salvation, and then He indwells us the rest of our lives. Both are tied to that salvation act. Being filled, however, if we we come to that, and, and these are terms that are used in a lot of different ways, but being filled is more the idea of being empowered for His work. 
Ephesians 5.18, a familiar verse that we usually focus on the first half, but we, we need to focus on the second half. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled in the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit again, by the way, in a verse that we use to talk about alcohol a lot. But the point there is to be filled with the Holy Spirit is about being under the control of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the issue with drunkenness is we're, control, we're under control of something else other than the Spirit. The alcohol is controlling us and we're doing stupid things. But when we're filled by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is controlling us and we're doing godly things. And so being filled has this idea of the Holy Spirit empowering us for His work, coming and, and, and helping us to live a Spirit-led life rather than a Spirit-less life. And so when we think of walking by the Spirit, we're thinking of being filled with the Spirit, being empowered by His work. One author said, living without the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive a car without gas in the gas tank. Or for a couple of you, electricity in the battery. It doesn't work because he is the power and his filling is that power. Acts 4.31 gives us another example of this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of the Lord with boldness. And so we see that through prayer and as, as they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit empowered them to do the work that he was asking them to do. So this is a continual thing, an ongoing thing. Jumping back into what does the Holy Spirit do? How is he active? The next one is he lives in us. He indwells us. And this is easily my favorite. The one that gives the most comfort, the most excitement but the one that convicts me the most as well because I'm not sure I live like this sometimes. John 14, so back to, to the John 14 passage where we just were, John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And you get the, the parameters there. He will be with us forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it never sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, amen. I will come to you. And as Jesus is preparing his disciples, he's talking about the church here and what's coming at the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit will indwell every believer. I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Now, can we ignore his promptings? Absolutely. It's called sin. Can I not take advantage of his direction? Absolutely. But he is there with us to guide and direct. In Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of this. In John 14, it's the promise. The Holy Spirit's coming. In Acts 2, the beginning of the chapter, we see the Holy Spirit come on the church and the disciples are in the, the, the room and praying and gathered there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes with rushing wind, which, which incidentally, the breath of life, think of spirit, and tongues of fire are on their head. I, that had to be a little odd. I mean, if we were here and I looked down and there's fire above Phil's head, that would be a little weird. And it happens to all of them, but the, the Holy Spirit is making an entrance and an appearance. He's doing something new. And he indwells them. And they go out and they speak to thousands and thousands come to Christ and they share the gospel. Later in that chapter in, in Peter's message as a result of that filling, 
and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I love that verse because it says you and I, even though we're far off from this time, the Holy Spirit was promised to us. He's in you if you're a believer. He's in me. He indwells us. He will not leave us because we are his temple. Moving through some of the others of what the Holy Spirit does as he indwells us, and there's a progression here. As he indwells us, he transforms us. How could he not? He's the Holy Spirit, completely other, completely pure. And so it's the Holy Spirit that helps to make us holy. As we are on the process of sanctification, and hopefully today, loving God and walking with him more than yesterday, and hopefully tomorrow more than today, the Holy Spirit is the one doing that work in our lives. We should recognize that and not forget that he's doing that work. It's not me if I just try harder, if I get up a little earlier, have a little longer quiet time. It's as I commune with the Holy Spirit that he changes my life. Romans 8, 9 and 10 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 3.18, another one of my favorite verses. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And then he talks about who's the agent of that. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit's everywhere. He's working everywhere in our lives if we will let Him, if we will be connected to Him. We should expect that our new life with the Holy Spirit looks radically different from our old life without him. And if it doesn't, there's a problem. Last few ways the Holy Spirit works. He guides and teaches us. And these are out of that statement. He guides and teaches us. We saw that in the John 14, 25, 27 passage. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. In John 16, later when he's talking about the Spirit again, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And we'll talk about spiritual Spirit of truth in weeks to come. He guides us and teaches us if we'll be aware of that and let him. Next one is he equips us. He equips us. As we studied through the the gifts, what were they called? The gifts of the Spirit. It's the Spirit working in our lives. And in that case, He's equipping us to minister to each other, to minister to the church, and to bring glory to God. That's why the gifts are called the manifestation of the Spirit. It's His working in us. Next one goes with that. He empowers us to godly living and service. He empowers us to godly living and service. Another familiar verse, Ephesians three sixteen through 17 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being. And we, we miss the Spirit in all these verses. Through His Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love, and it goes on to talk about being empowered to do the work of God. Think about what it means to be empowered. These lights, what are you assuming about these lights? There's power, right? They're plugged in somewhere. If there was a light just sort of floating here that was on with no wire, you'd be like, how are you doing that? That's a little creepy. There, there has to be a source of power. And, and let me translate this because this is so vital to our, our Christian lives and to our life as a church. Everything we do is to be empowered by the Spirit. Everything we do. But the problem is we can get really good at things. And we were talking about this as, as elders this morning. We can get really good at things, right? And we can forget that I need God, that I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to do this. Some of you have been, been Awana leaders forever. And it's awesome. And you do an incredible God uh, job. He is an incredible God. You do an incredible job. So incredible that you might not even think you need God on a Wednesday night. Because you can coast. You can do what you need to do and make it look great. You need the Holy Spirit. You need His power. We need it for everything we do. Jeremiah, back at sound, you need God's power today to do sound to His glory. The people that set up chairs and set up for the potluck today, they needed the Holy Spirit to empower them. Could they do it without? Yeah, you could do the physical act without, but it misses something. It misses what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so we need to come to every task, everything we do, and bathe it in prayer and say, God, I need you in this. The longer I preach, the more time I spend in prayer for preaching. Because it is that important. Every one of you that's teaching Sunday school today, everyone that's teaching our kids or adults this week, you better have prayed and asked for the Holy Spirit to empower you. If not, you're going in armorless and powerless to the den of the devil. It's that important. And it takes us being aware of that and consciously saying, I need God's power through the Holy Spirit. Nothing else can empower us to godly living and service except the Holy Spirit. few others that are there that I, I just wanted to list out. He guarantees our salvation with his seal. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that guarantees our salvation. And we can have confidence in that, assurance in that. In Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. If I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if I've repented and come to Christ, I don't have to worry about if I'm going to make it to heaven. I don't have to worry about if I'm going to be good enough. I don't have to worry about what if I die and I haven't confessed some sin that I don't even know about. The Holy Spirit is guaranteeing my inheritance as I walk with Him and I'm indwelt with Him. The Holy Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us in Romans 8.26. He is working God's plan in Matthew 1.18. As we come to Christmas, in several of the Gospels, it talks about the Holy Spirit comes on Mary. She's found with child from the Holy Spirit. He is God's active agent working His plan. In 2 Peter 1.21, we see that He's the agent of inspiration of Scripture. 
Luke, the active agent in this. And we could go on and on and on. That's just 11 things that hopefully start to, to, to expand our mind to the Holy Spirit is active and He is doing the work of God all around us every day. The question is, are we aware of that? Are we seeking that? So I'd like to jump to the implications and the applications. And really just one this morning. Just one, and it's the prayer of my heart for myself, the prayer of my heart for village. I pray that we relentlessly pursue Spirit-led living. Relentlessly pursue Spirit-led living. Not just give it lip service, not just come here and do our time on Sunday morning, but every moment of every day, pursue what it means to walk by the Spirit. What it means to let Him control our actions. To be influenced by Him like a drunk man is influenced by alcohol. To be so influenced by the Holy Spirit that it controls and oozes out our pores and everything we do. Because that's what He wants to do in our lives. Galatians 5, 22 through 25, we read that in worship this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those are the things that the Spirit wants to, to develop in our lives. Those aren't gifts. Those, those aren't optional. And I get to pick two of those that I'm going to have this week. It's all of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Right? This is a sign of maturity. We talked about that in gifts. The, the, and it's a sign of His transforming power. But to do those things, I have to be in tune with what He wants. I have to be letting Him change me. 24 goes on, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. We have to crucify the sin and get rid of it to be open to the Holy Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us step. And so when that, that, that last verse is so key, we're called to live by the Spirit. And it's defined as keeping in step with Him, making sure everything I do is what the Spirit would want me to do. That's what it means to keep in step with Him. To live by the Spirit says every breath that I take, every living breath, I should be looking to the Holy Spirit for His direction. I wanted to get, end by just giving some ideas for spirit-led living. How do we apply this? How do we do this? I can stand up here all day and say we should live by the Spirit. And you can all day say, Amen, preach it. We should live by the Holy Spirit. But how do we begin to do this? And the first is to start by asking if you really want to live by the Spirit. Do we really want this? And, and we have to acknowledge and come to a point of saying, Yes, I want it. I want to give up control to the Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as I said the C word, half of you just shuddered. But if we're to be led by the Holy Spirit, we've got to stop being led by self. We've got to give up control to the Spirit. This doesn't mean that I just do whatever, but I look to God's Word. I ask the Holy Spirit for direction. If He directs me to even do something hard, I'm willing to do it. Or am I just more comfortable trusting myself? I get this. I would rather do things right and do it myself than let other people do it sometimes. But that gets in the way of spirit-led living. That gets in the way of letting Him direct, of coming on a Sunday morning and show me who you want to talk, me to talk to today. 
of at night when I'm awake saying, Spirit, show me who you're wanting me to pray for right now because I'm awake for a reason. Of beginning to every moment asking the Spirit what He is doing in that moment. And that's the second idea, help for Spirit-led living. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you in each situation every day. In each situation every day. And, and I can't under, under, understate this. So at the beginning of your day when you get up, most of you have a schedule in mind. Some of you aren't planners and it's just sort of wherever the day goes and that's fine. But most of you have an idea of what you're doing that day. Start by getting up and taking some time and praying through your schedule. And this is just a real practical suggestion, but this is what I do. I pray through every appointment that I know about that day. I pray through everywhere I'm going to go and say, Holy Spirit, give me the words you want me to say in this appointment because I can't do it on my own. I don't know what I'm going to say. Holy Spirit, give me the eyes to see what is going on here. When I enter any counseling situation, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what's really going on, what you're trying to do, because it's not by my strength. It's not by my ability. It's the Holy Spirit that has to work if we're going to see amazing things as a church. So I pray, guide my thoughts, guide my actions, guide my words. Sometimes we we separate the, the secular and the spiritual But that doesn't work if we're living by the Holy Spirit because every part of life then is by the Holy Spirit. If you have a meeting at work with your boss or someone under you, pray about that. Pray that you'll have integrity. Pray that you'll you'll present and do all things for the glory of God. I, I really mean it. Every part of your day, pray through and see what God does. Acknowledge that you need Him, that you can't do it on your own. theologian once wrote, when we are at our wit's end for an answer, then the Holy Spirit can give us an answer. But how can he give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of answers of our own? Makes a lot of sense. We have to get to a point of saying, my answers aren't enough. God, show me. And that's scary because we want to see it in black and white. We want to control things. But I've watched the Holy Spirit in incredible ways when we open ourselves up to his work. Third thing is just asking the Spirit, please reveal and convict me of any sin in my life. See, if we're holding on to sin, if there's a stronghold there, a habit that we don't want to get rid of or an issue that we don't want to get rid of and we're hiding it, that will almost always block the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so the first thing to ask is convict me and show me, which are part of what he does. That's his job. And then be prepared to act on the answers. Not just to say, okay, thanks, that's nice knowing that. But to repent and to stamp that out. Fourth thing there, know what it means to be in step with the Spirit by reading the Word. By reading the Word. This is the Word of God through the Holy Spirit to us. If we're not in it, we can't know what it means to live by the Holy Spirit because we don't know what He's like. We don't know what He wants. And just see how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned as you read this week. I think it'll be really cool. Finally, fifth, put a priority on being around others who have the Spirit in them. As we live life together in community, we encourage each other. We pray for each other. We exhort each other. But we help each other live by the Spirit. 
as I see someone else living by the Spirit that challenges me to live by the Spirit, as I see someone else step out in faith because the Spirit has asked them to, that challenges me in my faith. It's important that we are together and living by the Spirit. Lord God, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, we come to you acknowledging our need for you. And I'm excited about this, God. I'm excited because it, it, it has your fingerprints all over it to see so many different people come and say, hey, this is what what God has put on my heart, what the Holy Spirit has put on my heart. I'm not sure, but I want to confirm it and see what others think. And so many people coming and then so many people participating and um, putting this together, Lord God. I pray that this would be something we never forget to acknowledge our need for you. Lord, we ask you to do a work through this ministry, something new for us, something big, something risky. But Lord, I pray that people would hear the gospel through this. I pray that souls would come to you because your Holy Spirit convicts them and draws them to you. Lord, help us to see you work as we are faithful to what you ask. Lord, I pray for every person helping and, and in, in all the different ways that you would empower them to do this for your glory, by your Spirit, to see the end result in mind so that people would, would know the Savior. Lord, thank you for your, your son. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in that process and in every process in our lives. Lord, we commit our lives to you. May we be a church that is committed to spirit led living. And Lord, convict us when it's spirit less living, when we're just doing it on our own. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.